When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Hello, uglies, and welcome to a very special episode of the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night. We've begun our reign of terror across the country with the official Boulay Brothers Dragula Season 4 World Tour. So this podcast is coming to you from the road, the highway to hell, if you will. <laughs> and here with me, as always, forever my co-pilot in terror, Dracmorta. Dracmorta, darling, how are we tonight? I am doing as well as could be expected here in beautiful Reno, Nevada. (laughs) So let's set the stage. We are now high above the Nevada desert in a random casino hotel room on a strange little sidestep of the tour as we make our way to San Francisco. And how weird is it? It's very weird. You can see out over the entire city of Reno. And with that view comes lots of train tracks and factories and... Lots of beautiful sights. Derelict dead ends. It's the most ugliful view in the Nevada desert. I will say <laughs> Reno so far has proven to be a place that would inspire a lot of horror movies and action-adventure drug movies. Yeah. It makes Reno 911 and all the comedy craziness that comes into focus, like much more focus. I have been here before, but it has been so many years, and I kind of get it a lot more now. Mm-hmm. So listeners at home, if you hear a difference in our voices or our mics, that's what that's about. Aside from the fact that you're having an allergy attack on top of yeah, it. Yeah, my allergies are like <laughs> level 5,000. <laughs> Surprise and thank you. The first couple of stops on the trip have been trying with that department, but it's kind of fun to be recording from the road. Yeah, I think so too, and we've now done... Seattle, Portland, and Boise, right? Yes. That's under our belt, which have been fantastic. Uh, We summon the ancient spirits of evil to start this tour (laughs) with strength in Portland. And it was sold out and it was amazing. It was. It was a great way to start. I think the energy in Seattle was incredible. Oh, my God. I just want to take a minute and just thank any fans that were in Seattle because the Seattle show was just incredible. From the turnout, again, another sold out night. It was our second night of the show at a brand new venue in downtown Seattle called The Crocodile. They took excellent care of us. It was gorgeous. And it was actually the first time we had a guest star performer who joined the tour. So it wasn't just the Boulets and the top four from the season. We also had Majesty from season two. Right. Who you all remember as James Majesty, who now just goes by Majesty. 
And I have to say, it was a very mind-blowing experience. It was like spiritual. It was spiritual. So for those of you that weren't there, I want to kind of describe what happened because it's interesting. She comes out with a bodysuit. And it's just sort of like a skin suit almost. And she's carrying her glamour dress from the finale of the Blade Brothers Dragula season two. And it's a very melancholy song. She's carrying it out and she sort of holds it up and looks at it. She sort of goes through a transformation, right? She shows the dress. She kind of shrugs it off to the side and she peels her skin off to reveal a second skin to which the song goes into Royals, which was really interesting, right? I think it really told the tale because James Madison retracted from the world of performance about two years ago and sort of went into, I'm going to say like this inner world of kind of self-exploration and healing. And these are their words. This performance in Seattle the other night was their first time on stage in over two years. Right. And it was like this story of almost acknowledging the past, but sort of getting rid of it. And she took that glamour dress, probably one of the most striking glamour finale looks that we've seen and threw it into the crowd, just like got rid of it, peeled off an old skin, revealed a new skin and performed to royals and was like pantomiming, putting her own crown on her head. And it was just like this transformative night. And she stage dived and sort of crowd surfed, uh, which was incredible. It was just a really magical moment. For sure. In another magical moment. <laughs> I know what's coming. <laughs> was the reemergence of the one and only Monique Chamey. Yes. <laughs> which was so fun. So Monique was there in all of her huge tip plate gigantic hair glory it was fantastic to see her she was there with her my two dads yeah so fun (laughs) and at this particular show there were people that are underage which is very new for us but i kind of liked it because i had this weird experience of my own with this very young fan who was right in front and she was barely old enough to have her eyes kind of meet the edge of the stage and there's a very bombastic part of our performance. And I kind of like embraced her little face because it seemed like she was on the verge of just an explosion of just tears or joy or something. And I'm like, you're making my heart sing. Part of me is like, get them away from me. But another part of me is like how magical it is to be able to experience something like the Dragula show at such a young age. If I got to experience in that at such a young age, I think it would have redefine boundaries for me well think about it right it's kind of like that moment for me i'm like four years old five years old or whatever going to the haunted mansion my eyes are huge and i'm absorbing it all i'm just loving it this is that moment for her well i love that you pointed out that there was a separation a physical barrier between (laughs) the left half which drac called the kids section i called it the baby the baby section the baby they weren't allowed to drink the baby pit and everyone to the right a much larger portion of the room were the adults and then i decided to declare because monique was in the house Monique was going to go on the baby pit, and she was going to be the babysitter. She's the babysitter of the baby <laughs> what pit. What a true nightmare. Right. What a horror for <laughs> parents of America. <laughs> Monique is your babysitter. Wow. I wow. love it. It's a movie. So that was a great experience. It was fun to have a guest performer. It was fun to see James. It was fun to see Monique. I feel like we're going to have a lot of moments like that across the store because we have guest performers in a bunch of the different cities. Yeah. And we had Boise last night, which was our first time there. You could just see that the city's in the middle of a transformation. A lot more artists and queer people are moving into the city. There's sort of like this changing of the guard. It was a very electric show. Now we have this weird little beat in Reno, of all places. But tomorrow, we will be in San Francisco and then on to Los Angeles. Yeah, it's going to uh, be interesting. Big shows coming up. Exciting. Who's performing with us in Los Angeles? Well, we have the winner of Blue Brothers Dragula Season 2, Bitch Pudding, is going to be joining the lineup, as well as Kendra Onyx, the legendary Kendra Onyx darling, and Bitter Betty, which is probably one of the biggest shows we're putting together for our hometown show. As far as guest performers, yeah. It's, yeah. It's the most 
number of guest performers we have in yeah. any city, right? It's yeah. a lot of drag. Yeah. The show's fabulous, though. I mean, it's been getting, like, rave reviews it's across true. the pond it's and true. here. So good. We have a good. few adjustments to make on the technical side, but I think <laughs> we're going to take care of that. Yes, those kinks <laughs> will be smoothed out, or someone will have to die. Well, on that note, why don't we bring in our co-host of the Blade Brothers Creatures of the Night, Ian. Ian, welcome to the show, darling. Ooh, smoothing the kinks out and living my kink fantasy a little bit. <laughs> Don't want to spill the tea, but daddy's a foot pig. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Welcome to the feet and greet. Welcome to Reno. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Really welcome to Reno. Oh, my gosh. Hearing you guys talk about having the guest stars at the Seattle show really made me kind of emotional. Seeing Majesty perform was honestly a healing experience for me, too. It's been so long since we've seen them, and their show was electrifying and seeing monique there like you said in all of their tit plate glory i'm like these are my girls yeah. like these are my people totally. you know, sometimes I feel like people go on tv or they go on the show and they go through this sort of self-reflection you know and they almost bounce in the complete opposite direction right like james was really viperous and snappy and like great persona for reality tv honestly yeah, but I deadly think a deadly, after, oh, a deadly yeah, competitor but in the aftermath of that i think you get all that heat online and social media and you can get into self-introspection and sure. i think dahlia black i think the same thing kind of oh, happened, happened with her but then i think you come back around right and you're like okay yes but at a certain point this is me and i sort of have to embrace that this is me and celebrate me and realize that in that moment, I was just a character on a show, you know, and kind of get over it and let it go. And don't be afraid to be you. Because now, retrospectively, people love James for the energy. Oh, that she absolutely. People are like, oh, James is a boss. Like, even the people from season four were like, ooh, oh, when yeah. James comes back, watch out, you know? There was this moment on the UK tour where all the competitors were downstairs in the lounge. We we're all talking. We we're talking about James's makeup on Instagram. They were like, Everyone had better just watch the fuck out because when James comes back, they are going to crush everyone like the icon, James Majesty. And now yeah. we saw Majesty live and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> y'all better watch out. I think that could have been her rebirth. Yeah, I think we witnessed that. Well, first of all, again, the Seattle show had a special magic to it. I think the energy threshold was about to burst. You could barely oh, yeah. contain the show in the room. But James's presence just added this almost melancholy reflection. There was anxiety but also excitement and then the show i was watching nervous for them from the wings but it was just <laughs> so good we literally witnessed a rebirth it was oh, incredible yeah. well, we went from sort of melancholy and just to spill a little bit of the tea here majesty was very anxious to perform backstage hey majesty how are you i'm good i'm very nervous but then the second that royal started playing I don't know if you guys said this and maybe I missed it, but Majesty literally stage dived yeah. and was being yeah. carried by the crowd. I was like, this is triumphant. Yeah. It was Epic. awesome. They danced their ass off, too. I was like, where yeah. was she hide these moves? Yeah, totally. <laughs> wow. No, I was impressed. <laughs> and we also did a special episode of Creatures of the Night on stage live. Oh, yeah. And for the Portland yes. crowd. Portland. Yeah, that was fun. Very fun. So for those of you that don't know, we brought this out a few times in the UK, and we may do it again in the US, but Ooh. we'll bring out our director's chairs and cue up the Creatures of the Night theme music and actually do like a live session of the show on stage. And we're taking literal listener questions right from the crowd. <laughs> we get updates kind of on the fly from mm -hmm. the tour. It's very fun. Yeah, it is fun. I mean, I love doing Creatures of the Night live. I mean, I love recording Creatures of the Night live. I love it in the studio. I even love it here in Reno, Nevada. But one of my favorite things about doing it live on stage is if anyone is a 
fan of live production or knows what happens behind the scenes, like live production is crazy in kind of the best ways. And it can literally be where it's like, oh my gosh, this thing is happening and this thing is happening and running, running, running. And then you hit the stage and bam, everyone's on. And that's kind of how it is for the live creatures of the night. It's chaos. And then we hit the stage. <gasps> Hello, darlings. It's like, oh, it's so fabulous. I love uh, it. I mean, it is, but I'm going to kind of conjure up that meme of that little kid, that, that gorgeous little boy who's <laughs> yeah. like, they're like, how are you today? And he's like, I'm good. And then it's like, <laughs> and his laugh just shatters into a cry. That's me because I hit the stage and it's fabulous and it's fair. So we're doing it. And I'm like, Oh my God, these stage lights are like 10,000 degrees. <laughs> oh, like, oh my yeah. God, wait, there's sweat dripping down my face. But that was the first oh time that God. happened to you. It was just hot in that video. The Boston like, Ballroom in Portland is a special portal to hell because it is always like 10,000 degrees. <laughs> it doesn't matter that they upgraded their AC because we sold it out. It was packed to the gills. The building is a million years old, and for whatever reason, it just stays hot like an oven. <laughs> we all were baking. You are totally correct. Mama, I had to change my shirt twice. There is a picture of Lady Gaga from some tour, and she is just dripping. And I was like, this is me. Oh, this is me. So you're Lady Gaga now. <laughs> oh, definitely, Mama. <laughs> bus, plane, another bus, another club. That does bring me to a special announcement I'd like to make. If oh. you are planning on attending the Blade Brothers Dragula Season 4 World Tour, and you think it's a cute idea <sighs> to get your phone out and take a picture and just zoom up on people. <laughs> Nobody wants it. Okay? Nobody wants it. Nobody fucking likes it. <laughs> if you do it, I curse you to hell that someone does it to you for the rest of your life. In your wedding, I want someone to lay yes. on the ground and get up under your neck. Oh I want every picture you take for the rest of your fucking life to be terrible. <laughs> Miss Thing, you don't want it. She don't want what it. What is that? <laughs> You go through all this effort to like paint yourself and look perfect, and you go out and, you, and then someone's just like her and takes a picture. Just the zoom up, the zoom up. I don't understand it. Someone zoomed up on my fucking crotch and put it oh. on Twitter. Why? Oh, that's weird. It didn't look bad or anything, but I'm like, oh, for what? Yes. And they were like, this is my special memory from the show, and I was like, really? That's your special fucking memory. Mama, I think you answered your question right there. You're like, why would you do this? Why would you zoom into my crush? It's my special memory. Was it was their like, special memory. God, you know? <laughs> Anyways, I just had to vent and let that out. I mean. Let it out, girl. Let hide out. Let hide out. <laughs> makes me very angry. Well, Ian, on that note, why don't we get some updates from the world of Hollywood and horror? All aboard this terror train to hell tonight, I'll be serving as not only your conductor tonight, guiding us on our journey into the abyss, but you can also refer to me as your train stewardess, serving up tasty morsels of news from the worlds of Hollywood and horror sure to satiate your appetite for destruction as we careen off the rails and into the unknown. I'll be bringing the drink cart by shortly if you're interested in any adult beverages. But in the meantime, please look out the window and you'll see the land of Jurassic World for our first all-day breakfast news of the night. Listeners of the podcast may remember that the latest Scream film, lovingly referred to as Five Cream, both by the film's production and your in-train crew today, teamed up with the marketing company to create the Berries and Scream cereal that we received multiple boxes of while we were in the UK. Not to be outdone in the breakfast department, General Mills has teamed up with the crew of Jurassic World for a branded cereal to coincide with the release of the new requel, titled Trix Tracks, which will be available nationwide in the United States this May. Interestingly, this is actually the second time that General Mills has created a cereal for the Dinosaur series with Jurassic Park Crunch featuring dino-shaped marshmallow bites back in the 1990s. 
I thought Tricks Tracks was the thing that people followed after Queen Kong. It's <laughs> <laughs> not T-Rex Tracks? It's T-R-I-X, like Tricks, Tricks for Kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, they got that little rabbit, you know, with the big ass feet. Not approved. <laughs> I'm going to quote Dahlia Black on this one, and they better stretch before they reach for Tricks Tracks. Cause yeah. Oh, this thing she don't want it. I mean, Jurassic Park Crunch sounds cute, but I have a really weird thing with like marshmallow cereals. They make my teeth hurt. Oh, I can't do it. I'm like, is that, it the sugar? It's like the texture thing. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I might as well be in like some sort of fucking dentist nightmare movie. I'm like, <laughs> it's true grit. It's very gritty. Oh, God, I want to spill your tea so bad. Let's... Go ahead. I mean, look, <laughs> I thought we talked, okay, on a previous podcast, I know we talked about cereal. And I thought we were talking about Count Chocula and Frankenberry and stuff. And we said, don't bring us cereal in the meet and greet. I don't know why we said that. Well, of course we got cereal in the meet and greet. A lot of times in the UK, yeah. And it was this particular kind. And when you open the lid, it screamed. I was so busy. I just wasn't thinking. I was like, why do they keep giving this to us? And so we had like a ton of it on the tour bus. <laughs> and then when you just said that, I was like... Oh, that's why we got that oh cereal. Oh, my God. This is so funny because for listeners out there who brought us the cereal, thank you so much for bringing it to us. But we got like four or five boxes. And every time we get it, Drac would be like, why are they giving us this <laughs> cereal? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> it was so great because I don't know. It was like one of those boxes. It felt like it was haunted, but actually I think it was just barely closed when we opened the door to the lounge it would oh, scream and yeah, it was so it fun was like the pressure would change and it would open yeah. the box yeah oh that was the thing we didn't realize is that the cereal box screamed when you open it so we're like oh cool like what are we gonna do with five boxes of cereal but then i opened one i was like oh i want to try it and it screamed and it scared the shit out of me so i was cute. like Ooh. it was cool to get it makes for a fun office souvenir i'm glad that everyone brought it to us but yeah at first i was like what is going on i also had too much of it i got sick <laughs> <laughs> We will be dimming the in-cabin lights and beginning our Creature Feature movie review shortly, but in the meantime, our first-class passengers can look forward to these newly announced sequel announcements, while those of you with standard fare can continue to shovel coal into the infernal furnace that powers this steam engine to sin. CinemaCon brought us tons of news this week, with The Nun 2 being officially announced during the Warner Brothers panel. Absent from that announcement, however, was the casting fate of the titular Nun, which thankfully was just revealed earlier this week on Instagram to be Nun other than the demoness and friend of the show herself, Bonnie Ahrens. Yay! Love her. Yay! I'm so excited. I'm so happy they're making The Nun 2, and I'm so happy that Bonnie is going to return. Me too. I remember when it officially got announced, the three of us were talking, we were like, but where is Bonnie? Are yeah. they going to bring her back? And I'm like, yeah. there's no way they can do it without her. I don't yeah. think they could do that movie without her at no. all. She is The Nun. She Just is like Robert England is Freddy Krueger, yeah. Bonnie Ahrens is The Nun. Absolutely. I don't know if you guys saw, but the person who is writing The Nun 2 is the writer of Malignant. <gasps> no. Oh, yeah. So maybe she has a fighting chance to be amazing. Oh, wow. totally. Oh, you did a rewatch of Malignant on the plane recently. Oh, yeah. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fun to watch it the second time because yeah. you can pick up a lot of the context clues that lead you to the crazy reveal and all that. I know that Nun wasn't like the most popular horror movie of all time, but I do think it was successful in establishing a female horror icon. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is very rare. Yeah, the marketing was done very well, and people, when they think of the Nun, they think of Bonnie Aarons and all that oh, crazy makeup. That's cool. Yeah. It always makes me think of how, I don't know, disappointed and, I don't know, depressing it was going back to, like, the Cenobites. Because people know that Hellraiser is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And when you have the Cenobites, the four classic, Pinhead, Chatterbox, Butterball, and the female Cenobite. The female I thought Cenobite. it was, like, so misogynistic and weird. I'm like, what? She doesn't deserve a name. It's, like, really weird. 
I think they eventually renamed her like the smoker or something like that. But at that point, it was too little too late. Yeah. Or not letting Julia take over as Hellraiser. The queen of hell. That's for real. Especially after reading the Hellbound Heart, I was like, okay, the Cenobites are neither male nor female. And in fact, they have, I feel like kind of more of a feminine sort of energy sometimes. Yeah. And then to just relegate one of them to female Cenobite, I was like, that crap. I don't like that. You know, it's probably like some toy maker. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like stuff like that happens in impost of movies where they do like marketing things and toys and figures. And someone's like, what do we call it? I don't know. Female Cenobite. (laughs) I got it. Nothing sells action figures (laughs) quite like female Cenobite. (laughs) Also, I feel like the toy maker is definitely one of the Cenobites in like Hellraiser 9. Oh, totally. Back to hell. For sure. Didn't they go to space too? I think they did go to space. I mean, as all good horror franchises should. Once you go I to space, know. it's over. <laughs> I literally think like the station itself was like a cube and it was like one of the lament configurations. Like the entire <laughs> space station reformed itself to, I don't know, an intergalactic gateway to hell or something did freddy ever go to space i don't remember i don't think freddy ever went to space but i mean it's you know there's still time there is that would be scary actually think about this if you were on a space station and you stay there for years obviously you sleep every night but if freddy was tormenting you or messing with your head while you were on a space station that'd be really (gasps) scary oh okay mama girl yes because then you go into cryo sleep and you're just forced to be asleep <gasps> okay for now like that's years. interesting that's oh that's interesting Ooh, that's a movie this? Uh, <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> not to be upstaged by the nun too too much also announced during the warner brothers panel was the return of the newly minted you're not my real dad alfred cape crusader in the upcoming sequel to matt reeves's the batman Details are extremely sparse at this point, but Robert Pattinson has been confirmed to don the cowl once more. And mama, I'll be there with my little train attendant outfit ready for a bumpy ride. It's exciting. We all I loved know, it. Right? We all loved yeah. it. We're ready for more. And somehow Robert Pattinson is like our new favorite Batman. How did that happen? Honestly, I don't know. Because when the initial marketing came out, I was like, I'm going to give him a fighting chance because I want this movie to be good. But I had no idea I was going to love it the way that I did. Yeah. Like, I'm into it. I accept him as Batman. And I never accepted what's his face. Oh, Christian Bale. No, the other one. Michael Keaton? No, everyone but the one, the the one, one you're... The one you oh, like. Ben Affleck. Ben yeah. Oh, my God. Never. I would just never, no matter how many movies they put him in, I'm like, no. I just want to say this for the record. One, I'm not a foot pig, even though I said it earlier. <laughs> oh and two, God. I don't accept Ben Affleck as my Batman, but Mama... Oh, God, she is like a double-stuffed Snickers in that suit. Oh, she's so sexy. (laughs) All right, well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to be digging into this episode's creature feature movie review. Stay tuned. Attention, misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulay Brothers want you to join the cult now by visiting BoulayBrothersDragula.com, where everything from the world of the Boulay Brothers can be found. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter for insider updates, learn more about upcoming projects, and access tons of Boulay Brothers and Boulay Brothers Dragula exclusive merchandise. Visit us now at BoulayBrothersDragula.com. Do it or die. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, uglies, and welcome to this episode's Creature Feature Movie Review. For this episode of the podcast, we've chosen Robert Eggers' epic tale, The Northman. This is the man who brought us The Witch and The Lighthouse, and as we'll see later, he likes to bring back actors he has worked with before, including Willem Dafoe, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Kate Dickey. For a quick synopsis of The Northman, Prince Amleth is on the verge of becoming a man when his father is brutally murdered by his uncle, who kidnaps the boy's mother. Two decades later, Amleth is now a Viking who raids Slavic villages. He soon meets a Cirrus who reminds him of his vow, save his mother, kill his uncle, avenge his father. I just want to start by saying this conversation is going to be filled with spoilers, so if you would like to experience this film untainted by our superior views, go and skip ahead now. You've been warned. Okay, the first thing that jumped out at me was this movie is packed with stars. I mean, packed. Alexander Skarsgård as Amleth, Nicole Kidman, Anya Taylor-Joy, mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke, Bjork, Willem Dafoe. I mean, this is a, an incredible cast. The list goes on and on. And originally, I was also supposed to star Bill Skarsgård as Thorier, and that role ended up going to Gustav Lind, who I think we all kind of share an interesting love of that character, which we'll get into later. Because she serves it. Oh, she does not. <laughs> oh, Miss Thing Kiss of the Ring, honey. <laughs> she really does. So let's talk about our, without going into detail, our overall enjoyment of the film. How did you guys feel about it? I guess I'll start. This was my second time viewing the film. I saw it very, very close to opening night, and I had my hands on my knees, just smile on my face. I love this movie. It is pinging on so many receptors for me. I think it's style over substance in a lot of parts, but I'm not mad at it. I love it. I love The Northman. I think it's fabulous. Drac? Let's see. I usually love Robert Eggers' movies, like all of them. And I did like this movie. I did not love this movie. I like the tone of it. I mean, I like this whole new idea of, you know, these sword and sorcery kind of movies, Mm -hmm. but told from an artistic perspective. Usually it's like really weird middle America, like, hi, it's Willow or it's The Hobbit, you know, which (laughs) is like, okay, they're great for what they are. But this is like a more elevated way of telling those stories, I think. Like The Green Knight. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, I kind of liked it. But I also did think it was... A little bit like, here's the same thing again. Here's white guy hero, vengeance story, love interest. It's all about them. I don't know. That kind of, to me, was a turnoff. I see that. I love mysticism. I love ritual. I love mythology. I love depictions of that multiculturally, like anywhere around Mm -hmm. the world. It just pulls me right in. So for me, this was epic poetry, just personified, so beautiful, and just filled with magic and sorcery and mysticism and weaving in the lives of men like great heroes both men and women i really mm-hmm. loved watching the movie it was just a joy i know you both have said that you felt there was lots of mythology and sorcery and magic in it did you really felt that i did not feel that oh, i feel like it was, it was yeah. played with but not like excessive to oh. me well i guess i'll go back to a conversation that swan and i had before having seen the movie together swan said 
I hope that they play on the sort of mysticism that's in the trailer. And when I saw the trailer, I don't know what I was on or what was happening, but I didn't register that there was anything mystical at all happening. So I went in thinking it was just going to be swords, no sorcery. So the second that there was magic, I was like, oh my God, what am I looking at? And I just felt like every time they hinted at it or even just kind of very blatantly brought it up, I was just so into it. I just wasn't expecting it. And I think it really sort of culminates in the scene where Alexander Skarsgård as Amleth gets the Nightblade from the Mountain Dweller. And it turns into this sort of like, oh, this is full-blown fantasy fantasy for right. a minute. That seemed like it was happening in his head, really, right? Was it a mental feat? That's what I think it was. I yeah. think that the way that they dealt with magic in a way was almost out of body. Like mm-hmm. it was happening, but on a different plane that wasn't the physical plane. I mean, Hive, no one's casting Fireball for D20. Like, <laughs> you know, no one's like rolling for initiative. Unfortunately. Like, yeah, but I do agree that a lot of the magic is sort of being influenced by the gods. And I think that for me, at least, the answer is yes. The constant Odin's ravens or just even the sort of reverent way that they look at these statues of Odin, it made me feel as though, oh, there is something mystical happening. There's magic in this world, even if it's not like firebolt, ice blast. (laughs) I felt like fate and inevitability was kind of ever present. And it's just weaved throughout this entire film. I really loved the idea that we had a Cirrus in Bjork. Bjork was cast and she hasn't been in a movie in so long. And I love that Castor and Bjork did every little opportunity oh, yeah. to she roll so her good. eyes. And she brought well, us into Icelandic. that Icelandic I mean, perfect. Yeah. It was brilliant. She had no eyes and she was like fully adorned and I loved it. But there were also male witches and they played on sexuality and gender and the role of magic. Traditionally like a female aspect. But then I read after watching the movie that even Odin himself, who's referenced many, many times in this, his familiar ravens are throughout the film. But he also uses magic, so he disguised himself as a woman to learn a woman's art and all this kind of stuff. So I feel like it was in there from Berserker, psychic shape-shifting, when he kissed his wife's wound and he had visions. And I felt like magic was part of this movie from the beginning to the end. It was, just maybe not overtly, I guess. It's not hitting you over the head. It's not like the Willow grannies battling (laughs) each other, you know? Spells and flipping around. We definitely didn't get the, (laughs) thou shall not pass. (laughs) No, but we did get wind summoning and definitely chanting and invocation. When she does that, her husband jumps off. Or not her husband, whatever. Yeah. Whatever he is. Love interest jumps off the boat and then she walks up and starts summoning all these winds. And I leaned over to Swan. I was like, she does that and he drowns. Oh, <laughs> damn. I'm like, your guy just jumped in the water. Are you sure you want to do that right now? And I'm like enveloped by the magic of the movie uh-huh. and Jack leans over and goons me out. I'm like, get <laughs> out of here. <laughs> I was going to say, but was it scary? We've seen horror movies from Robert Eggers, and we've seen movies like really laden with witchcraft and sorcery Mm -hmm. and this underlying insanity and stuff like that from The Lighthouse. But was this movie scary? I would say that this movie is scary in a way that I wasn't expecting in that as a viewer, it's never scary. I don't think that there's anything in the movie that is scary for me as a viewer. However, I was transported into kind of the minds of Fjolnir and of these people who live sort of in his fiefdom, and they're being hunted by this ghost. It's just the ghost of Amleth. And I was like, this would be a literal living nightmare. Your son is being murdered, and everyone around you is dying, and you can't figure out what's happening. 
the Nightblade feeds. And I was like, oh my God, if you were just some regular degular bitch who was up in the village, <laughs> like Not regular degular, regular degular <laughs> bitch trying to like make your bread or whatever, you'd be like, oh girl, Odin is after my when ass. When they were like, we give a sacrifice to the gods to protect the village. And I was like, okay. And, and then, then they had a girl her- hogtied. Ooh. I was like, oh. What did you think it was going to be? An animal. Yeah, like oh. a goat yeah. or something. Animals I played such a huge when, role. I just assumed that's what they were, they were going to do. I was like, who are they going to kill? But I to think be was my it... little human sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was gooped. I was like, oh my God, they're going to slaughter this girl to the gods. I would too was there. When you said, is it a horror movie? No, it's not a horror movie per se, but it's definitely dark. I think it's extremely brutal. It shows the brutality yeah, of humanity. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. What did you all think of the brutality? Did you think it sort of served to enrich the movie or was it a turn off what did you think yeah i think it reminds us the reality of those times where you know survival was definitely not something that was given to everybody and old age was probably a privilege and raiding camps and kingdoms just switching hands we learn Mm -hmm. in this the main character's father is murdered by his brother his own uncle kills his father to take over his kingdom he learns later that shortly after his uncle was run off by some other random king and they had nothing to equate his father's death amounted to nothing it was for no reason which makes me think of like are there really heroes like who tells the story is Mm -hmm. it the, the winners you know are there good guys are there bad guys and all of this is wrapped around this brutality and this violence that i think makes the movie feel very vital and edgy But I don't think it was gratuitous, though. We talked about this a little bit, too. We saw maybe crimes against women in that way, or even the death of children. But it was more suggestive and not really played out on film, which I was appreciative of because I feel like that would have diminished my experience. I don't like that at all. I think a different director would have taken it to another level and you would have really seen those sorts of atrocities happen on camera. And I, too, was very grateful To answer your question, though, Drac, I looked at the violence and the brutality of this movie almost in the same way that I would view for video game fans. There's a game called The Last of Us 2 or for real fucked up horror movie lovers, the movie Martyrs, where the violence and the cruelty almost gets to a point where you start to look at it and you're like, is this almost like to a point where I can't handle this anymore? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that it is gratuitous in some parts, but I don't think that it is without its beauty. Like, it's so beautiful to look at. It's so gorgeous. I had to remind myself sometimes, I'd be looking at it, I'd be like, I love this movie. It's so beautiful. And then I'd look at what's happening. I'm like, oh my God, this is just ghoulish looking. Yeah, It's kind of a push and pull that I really appreciated. I thought it was well served too. I think too, I agree that it served its purpose and it wasn't gratuitous. So I think it was successful. But one of the things you mentioned that I wanted to talk about was, and this is one of the things that I had a problem with the movie about, the idea that here's this guy and it's all about him. Someone killed his dad and now he's going to go get revenge and it's got simple for him, right? And along the way, as we see, he joins this tribe of berserker men who he's then with and they drive past these two people fishing and they just shoot them and laugh and that's nothing Mm -hmm. to them. And I'm like, you just created yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that happens many times during the film. That's what I think grates me a little bit, right? Because it's about this like, I'm white hero guy. Of course, I'm the main character in this movie. But how many people along the way did you create those versions of yourself? And it just sort of doesn't necessarily get addressed. I don't know. If you follow the story along, you're led to believe that he's going to be vindicated. He's completely validated by his need for revenge and this burning fire to the point where he feels like he's not even alive. He's just driven by this vengeance because he said something along the lines of when my vengeance is quenched. I'll let you know how I feel about living. So he's kind of in this state of undeath. There's another character that's literally undead. The mountain dweller. The mountain dweller who guards the sword, who literally is like an undead character. 
So it's kind of like an interesting parallel there. But what was the question? Okay, this Olga the Birch Forest character. Why couldn't it have been about her? She obviously got captured and taken there too. Like, it could have been her story. Why does it have to be like, I'm white guy. I'm the muscle white guy hero. Like, why? Like, we've, that's we've seen annoying, this so many that's times. That's just annoying because it's not about her. It's about him. Like, well, it, it's what, his what, tale. What's it, interesting about it, though, is that you're Don't let, give your hand symbols. You <laughs> tried to give me the, the fucking, uh, what's it? Three Stooges earlier, and I'm not having it. Tempestari <laughs> lightning. What's interesting about it is you're led to believe that He's on this noble quest mm -hmm. to get vengeance on a wrong that was done to his family. And then you learn that his mother is literally a viper who orchestrated the death of his own father. And I think the lesson is it's all about perspective. As a child, he sees this atrocity against his mm -hmm. own family, and he writes this destiny in his mind. And then he learns that all the driving force behind that destiny was a complete illusion. His mother orchestrated the death and this whole twist of his own fate. Sure. I'm just saying, I feel like we've seen this main character mm -hmm. 10 gazillion times, and I'm just eager to see some that are represented by something else. You know, I will agree with you that I think it would be nice to see films where women are at the center or where characters of color or actors of color are at the center. However, I will say that I think that the big takeaway of this film is that toxic masculinity and masculinity is just ridiculous. Like, it drives men to do these crazy things and to go on these quests of vengeance. And I think that you kind of can't tell the story of toxic white masculinity being horrible and toxic and just consuming them without having a toxic white guy at the center. I think as queer people, that may be our takeaway, but I guarantee you a lot of just regular straight guys would not have that takeaway from that movie at all. They would just be like, this is a celebration of it almost. And this guy comes and gets vengeance. And like, it's not going to sink in, you know? I think maybe you're right because, hi, I'm not a straight white guy. I mean, spoiler alert, not a straight white you're guy. You're fired. I know. Oh, God, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> So I think that I do have the reading that I presented. However, I think that one of my favorite things about this movie is that it doesn't hold your hand and say, okay, and so now here's the wrap-up of the plot. He's actually a villain. You're a villain in someone else's story. Like, it kind of allows the viewer to take their own things from it, which I kind of feel like is a Robert Eggers thing to do. Mm. The witch, even though it does have that sort of ending where it's, mama, there be witches. <laughs> it's not really that sort of movie, you know? Right. So yeah, for this one to kind of have that sort of tone and themes and stuff i think it almost says hey this isn't 300 no offense 300 i love that movie and all of its homoerotic glory but this ain't 300 this is like the thinking person's viking epic it was yeah. sad i found it kind of like gothic and very dark and at the end the kingdoms of both amleth and his uncle amounted to nothing mm -hmm. almost everything was dead and the only thing that you have is the hope in that these two unborn children that were seen in a vision that he saw in his father's ripped open chest. It's just filled with so much like vision and mysticism and darkness and sadness. Spoiler, I love it. I think that movie is super bleak. Yeah. The way that it ends too, even, and this is the big spoiler for me, the film ends with Amleth on his way to Valhall, but never really gets there. Like the film cuts out right before he enters the gates of Valhalla. And for me, I'm like, oh, so he never even gets there. This whole quest was for nothing. Wait, what do you mean he didn't get there? I think that's what people talk about when they're like, oh, the ending is shocking because he's riding on the back of the horse and the Valkyrie is taking him to Valhalla. Yeah. However, he doesn't reach the gates. What happened? The film cuts off before. 
Oh, but I mean, it's implied that he makes it, right? That's the way I took it. Why oh. would they? What she think she's gonna make a U-turn? <laughs> <laughs> well, it happened earlier in the movie. <gasps> what do you mean? He's on his way to Valhalla, and then it cuts out, and then bam, he's like not there, and he's like, "This isn't Valhalla." So I was like, oh, right, yeah. oh she's oh, denied wait, entry. Wait, wait. I have to. <laughs> Let me tell <laughs> oh, you what happened. Oh, you tell the story. Let me, no, you don't even know what happened. Let me tell you. So I had to run out and use the bathroom in the middle of the movie, okay? So I went out, and I wasn't paying attention when we came in where we were. So I come back, and I'm like, this is the right theater, right? So I <laughs> come back in, and I sit down. I, like, jump back in the seat next to you, and I lean over to talk to you. And it's some other guy, and he's looking at me oh. like gagged. He's like, "What do you do?" Like I shocked him because it was not a very crowded theater. So then I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And I got up and I see the horse, and I was like, "Is this the right movie?" I was like, "What's happening?" So I go outside and I look, and there's a sign that says "Fantastic, Fantastic Beast," and yeah. I was like. Oh, maybe I went to the wrong movie theater because oh. that scene didn't look like it was from the movie. So I go back in. Ian saw me standing there, and I didn't see him. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm standing there like an idiot watching the movie. I'm like, is this the right movie or not? Oh, no. <laughs> so maybe I missed that part, which would have helped me understand at the end that maybe he didn't make it to Valhalla. Well, first of all, that is hilarious. <laughs> it would only happen to you. Secondly, I did see that part because I never miss one second of the movie. But I thought that the shocker that people were referring to was what do they call it? Like a double death. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, like that a, was an overkill, which is gagged. like it ends all bloodlines. Then you find out he has kids. But, you know, it's like, wow, it's just like this bloody naked sword fight on a volcano. Which I'm like, every movie should end like that because well, let's I kept talk thinking about of Star Wars. <laughs> oh yeah, very That's Star Wars. That's what I kept Wars. thinking yeah. of. I was yeah. like, get on the higher ground. But my thought was that he, <laughs> he's on his way to Valhalla, and my thought was that he gets there. Yeah, I would assume but he did tidbit, too. That, like that Valkyrie's face. I'm like, there's a lot, and I looked it up because I'm like, it looked like she had braces on, and I'm like, <laughs> I know I'm not seeing that. But I guess Robert Eggers did tons of research on this movie, and Bjork put him onto Icelandic witchcraft, and he really deep dived in. To the point where some people were saying that this is the most authentic depiction of Viking culture mm, in okay. film. That is my girl, Miss yeah, Eggers. it was like very that. Those lines on her teeth were traditionally from the dental records of like bodies of the period. Oh. They carved lines in their teeth and filled them with colors and metals and stuff like that. So it was very interesting. But she also had the depiction of swans on oh, her yeah. helmet, which was said that Valkyries was would shape Bjork's jeans. Grammy outfit, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. It was, it was a reference to Bjork's Grammy outfit. Oh, and, my God. oh, and also Valkyries were said mythologically to shape change into swans, which I thought was cool. I think we would definitely recommend people, if you like The Witch, if you like The Lighthouse, you will like this film. It is visionary. You might not be a fan of Viking mythology, but it's a very, very... Cool story, steeped in mysticism, like I said, like epic poetry. Viking mythology is super interesting. If anyone at home wants something new to look into, definitely look into that because it doesn't get as much play as like Greek mythology for some reason, but yeah, totally. I find it to be super interesting. Well, that's it for this episode's Creature Feature Movie Review. We're going to be reaching into our bag of listener mail to answer some of your burning questions, but before we do, it's time for a quick break. Calling all misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulay Brothers' Dragula Season 4 U.S. Tour will be terrorizing a city near you this spring, featuring the Boulay Brothers and the top four monsters of Season 4. Tickets and VIP upgrades are available and going fast, so if you'd like the chance to experience the Dragula show live, 
Get your tickets now at DragulaLive.com before they're all gone. <laughs> Welcome back, darlings. It's time we visit our mailbox, retrieve your inquiries, and answer some of our listener mail. Ian, will you do the honors? Oh, yes, I would love to. My pleasure. Luke from North Carolina asks, In season one and season four of the Boulay Brothers Dragula, it is implied by multiple contestants that Melissa B. Fierce and Sigourney Beaver aren't, quote, Dragula enough because of their focus on glamour aesthetics. And online, I often see fans of the show view the three major tenets as filth, horror, and everything else. I was wondering how you personally feel about glamour and, quote, glamour queens, since personally, Melissa is one of my favorite queens from the show, and I thought she embodied Dragula and what it means. And I also feel that the two of you embody glamour in such a commanding way. I don't know why anyone would think that glamour is less significant less significant oh, yeah. than filth or horror. Like yeah. it's drag, filth, horror, and glamour. So of course we think glamour is just as important as the others. I think too, the whole show, as we've said before, is kind of based off of our drag. And I like to think we're pretty glamorous ourselves. And mm-hmm. it's not rhinestones, all right? That's not what glamour is. Glamour is about poise and a little bit of sophistication and things like that. And so that comes through in drag and the way that you hold yourself, I think. That's part of our image, and that's part of the image of Dragula. I fully agree, even though I do love diamonds. <laughs> I do love <laughs> rhinestones, and Drac and I will often battle about them. But I do say, yeah, glamour makes up a lot of our mystique and a lot of our aesthetics just as much as anything else. And I think it might be difficult to pull off monstrosity in a horrific visage built upon the aesthetic of glamour. It's right. not an easy thing to do. No. So I think people often like shy away from it or it can be likened to other more common manifestations of drag, I guess, but it's just as important as any of the other aesthetics for us. A great contestant of Dragula has to have the ability to do all. They don't have to necessarily live and breathe all of those tenants every day, but they have to be able to pull it off if they need to in a pinch, right? For sure. Yeah. In reference to Melissa specifically, I do think she embodies Dragula. Even though she may not live in that space in her drag career very often, she is the embodiment of, like, the deadly beauty queen. She's right. cutthroat. Mm-hmm. From what I get from this is that sometimes people weaponize glamour, which I think is just as it is here, I think it's bullshit. Glamour is absolutely one of the three tenants, and it's super important. And I think that, like you're saying with Melissa, I look at Melissa, and she is definitely, she's a deadly glamour battle axe bitch. But also, hi, Melissa's filth is the filth. It's yeah. still iconic finale, four seasons later. Yeah, and I feel Sigourney has this sense of just deadly glamour. When I look at Sigourney, I look at kind of like a vampirist kind of character, and she's, there's like a blending of glamour and horror. And I think that this listener has accurately described it. When I think about y'all's drag, it is the embodiment of all of it. Don't get it twisted, mama. The boulets, they be glamour, mama. It's true. And, you know, with Sigourney, we never shared our opinion on season four while we were filming or on the episodes because we wouldn't. It doesn't make any sense. But I never understood why the competitors would complain about Sigourney's glamour. I didn't get it. And I don't think it's valid. That's just my opinion. Vincent Sarna from The Land of Queen Sonorgi, i.e. Chicago, writes, I was wondering, when will Swanthula's book nook come back? I'm a huge reader, and I have to beg that Mexican Gothic be added to the list because it was one of my favorite books of 2021 and Goodreads' best horror book of 2021, and I just know that Swan will get her whole life from it. 
Well, I'm very intrigued by the idea of Mexican Gothic, but I don't think I'm going to have time to read for a few years because we will be very busy creating much more Dragula for you all to consume. Are you trying to tell us that the book nook is permanently closed? No, the book nook is not permanently closed, but the door oh is almost completely sealed shut for up. No, I, I don't Everyone know. says Swan <laughs> They want book nook, it. And I just picture you in the public library over in a corner <laughs> sitting on like, you a know. A mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> With like crystals. to little gothic children. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Which is adorable. <laughs> Who are I mean, like 30, but whatever. I'm into oh, it. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like I'm like front and center for Swan Thula's book nook. My teeth bucked out. I got my glasses on. I'm like, what's next, Swan? <laughs> Star from Long Island asks I've been trying to find some good foreign horror films after recently watching Train to Busan and The Platform. Some other ones I really enjoyed were High Tension and Inside. Do you have any suggestions or personal favorites? I'm going to say the first one that jumps to mind is Let the Right One In. It's a vampire movie yes. and it's fabulous. There's another movie we talked about, The Mill of the Stone Women, also that's a foreign horror movie that's worth checking out. <laughs> I have two to maybe add. One is one that I haven't seen. It's new. It's called The Sadness. It's been on my list, and it just looks horrible in all the right ways. I can't wait to see it. It's a zombie movie. And mm. the other, since you mentioned High Tension and Inside, I will say French Extreme is one of my favorite subgenres, and kind of the master of that genre, I believe, is Martyrs. Martyrs is not a film I'd recommend to a lot of people. It is Vander Von Odd's favorite horror film. It is cruel and it is horrible to watch. However, I think about it every day. And I think that's kind of the mark of like a brilliant film is I cannot stop thinking about it. Every day? Literally every day I think you about think it. You think of Martyrs every day. I'm like not being crazy. I literally, there's like every day I think something about Martyrs. What do you think about it? Just like how horrible it was or how it made me feel or how beautiful it was or the ending or the themes. I straight up, I cannot get it out of my brain. Wow. Would you like me to mind wipe you? Please. Oh my God. It's burned in my brain. Let's start all over again. Ooh. <laughs> Cody from Toronto writes, on the podcast a few episodes ago, you mentioned plans to extend the tour to Canada. I was wondering, even if you can't announce the exact dates yet, could you let us know around when you're planning to announce so that I can put it on my calendar? I'm sad to announce that we will not be extending this tour to Canada. We did originally think that we were when all this was being put together, but I don't think that we knew where COVID was going in Canada, and it was a different situation there than in the UK, so... Unfortunately, we will not be coming this year. Misty Fi from the UK asks, How do you come up with the chants slash tongues that you put in your own songs? Thinking of R.I.P. specifically here, my favorite on the EP, by the way, are they based on any particular languages, or does the vibe of the song dictate the sounds you're looking to achieve with the chants? I'd say a little bit of both. Some of it is actual foreign language, and some of it, I think, is just channeling the energy of the song. For RIP specifically, that would be an actual foreign language. That's all the time we have for this episode. Thank you all for writing in. I do want to point out something that may be obvious to many of you listeners. There will be no haunting of history for this episode because the tour bus is about to pull away in less than 30 minutes and we need to be on it. So until next time, darlings. <laughs> The Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Dread Central production. Hosted by the Boulay Brothers with their co-host and producer, Ian DeVogler. Engineered and mixed by Carlos Bueno with music by Neuron Spectre. 